So we're continuing our series, like Phyllis said, on the first team. I did know what that fish was. I did look it up during the week. But Paul and Nick could easily tell us. A tuna. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's a tuna if you didn't know. The thing about it is, we're thinking about fishermen today. Two fishermen. So that's why we've got a fish, a tuna, if you didn't know, on, the, on, on there. Over the last few weeks, we've had two. Say that again. Whistle. Ah, oh, this is brilliant. Now, anyone else who wants to... I, I liked what Nick said, and he also put his hand up, but then he didn't wait for me to say, Nick, what would you like to say? <laughs> so I know when I'm at school, if someone puts a hand up and shouts out, then that's not so good. But thank you, Nick, for your contribution there. We all appreciated that, didn't we? Yeah, thank you. So anyone else who wants to make a contribution, yeah, put your hand up and I'll ignore it. <laughs> thank you very much. Right, so we've had a twofold focus over the last few weeks. We haven't just been thinking about the disciples. We've been thinking about what is a disciple and saying in our own lives... How much of a disciple are we? How much are we changing? We've looked at several of the disciples already, and we've said that if we wanted to find their list of names, this is where they are. So if you wanted to read the scriptures about the list of who they are, have a look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, and kind of John has got them in several places. What have we learned so far? We've had one general thought... Five more specific ones, and one call to action. Now, the thing about the Bible is, and when people preach, generally, Jill and I have a chat about it in the afternoon. I bet you all do the same. If you live with someone who comes here, you'll have a chat about, oh, what what did you think of that? Not in a kind of pulling down kind of way, because that's terrible, we wouldn't do that. But of a, oh, how did God speak to you? The funny thing is, sometimes when we have a chat about it, Jill will say something, and I'll say, I never heard him say that at all. And this is the thing. We've had all these things, but also numerous other ideas that you heard and I haven't. Because that's the beauty. The Bible is alive, isn't it? God is alive and speaking to us. So as we, you might sort of say, well, I didn't get any of these things that John said, but I've got these three important things that God spoke to me and I'm doing something about in my life. And if that's the case, that's wonderful. What's the general thought then? There was no plan B. The disciples were Jesus' plan A. There was no plan B. How about the five specific thoughts then? And so each week we've looked at different people. So the first week it was introduction and we said it's a process and we're going to fan into flame our gifts. Then we heard about Philip from Nick and he says, open the door for Jesus and let him move. And then we heard from Paul about Matthew, and your background doesn't rule you in or out. And then I spoke about the four lesser-known disciples who were called... The four lesser-known disciples, we'll say, shall we? Judas, yeah. James the lesser. Simpsons. 
Bartholomew. Yeah, so Bartholomew uh, and then uh, Thaddeus, which is, you know, these, some of them had several names when we read the scriptures. And if you look at them up, you just sort of say, oh, why is that? We talked about it all a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, Jean spoke about Judas Iscariot. And he said, sin is deceptive and weakening. Don't open the door. Don't have a conversation with Satan. No point. Waste of time. Don't do it. So those are the things that I heard. You might, for every week, have heard about other things. So if I had one general thought, no plan B, these five specific thoughts and all your other ideas as well. And then there was a call to action, we said. We're on the cusp at NCF. So embrace God, and there's the whistle again. Listen for God, blowing the whistle, and then do what God says. So today, we're looking at Andrew and Peter. And in dark, you can't really read it there. You can't read it at all. What's this say, Jill? Speaking to the microphone, can you read it from there? No. Two brothers who fished for... Sorry. All right, okay. So, yes, at home I could read this. Here, I'm going to have a go at hoping that it's Braille or something and touch it, but that's not going to work either. It says, uh, I did see it. Well, I've got a bit of a memory about it. It sort of says something like, two brothers who fished for fish, then fished for men after they met Jesus. Something like that. That's I'll sort of trying to sum it up. So we're looking at two fishermen today. We're looking at Andrew and Peter. And of course, in the disciples, there are another pair of brothers who were fishermen who we're going to be thinking about in a couple of weeks' time. Now, when I was uh, researching about it, I found out there were apparently 26 varieties of fish in the Sea of Galilee at the time. And fishermen t- used two types of net. There was a throwing net, which was round and about 12 foot across, and it had leads uh, around the edge. And it would catch fish by dropping over them. And then there was a second sort called a sagine. Now, is that still a, a term that's used? Sagine? Sagin? No? Okay. Just wondered, S-A-G-E-N-E, and this was about 1,500 feet long and about 12 foot wide. And it had floaters above and sinkers below, so we'd probably call it a dragnet, wouldn't we? I've heard of those. And they'd haul it to shore, and then they'd sort out what they wanted, what they didn't want, throw stuff away that they didn't want, and take the fish in and get it to Jerusalem and to local areas to sell the fish that they wanted. I found out as well that the lads who became fishermen would have been taught in the synagogue for a good few years when they were sort of younger, and they were open and teachable because they learnt a lot about what the Old Testament was saying, but they didn't have, sort of, they weren't versed in it that much that they couldn't think of beyond the box, if, if you like. Some people were taught to they're about 16 or 17, they become rabbis, and they just had their sort of, they knew their Old Testament, they didn't call it the Old Testament, of course, but they couldn't open their ideas to Jesus being the Messiah. The fishermen had had enough training in the scriptures to know that a Messiah was expected, and yet still they thought, oh, I wonder who it's going to be. 
I wonder what it would be like. I've got a brother and I've got a sister. I don't know if you've got any siblings. I wonder what it's like having siblings. Do you get on? What sort of relationship do you have with them? I'm the cheeky one with a smile. I don't know much about my granddad because he died when I was about six months old. But here he is in 1912, and that's him on the back row on the left-hand side. The two men on the front row both died in the First World War, one in October 1917, and that was his marriage in September 1912 in Wilnicott. And then his other brother, who was sat on the front row, died in April 1918. My granddad lived another 50 years. And of course, I was a baby when he died. But I wonder what he thought about his brothers who died like, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and eventually 50 years before. He still had one brother, the, the other one on the back, Edgar. But I wonder what he thought about his brothers who died, how he longed for them and wanted to know them, and what his relationship was like when they were younger, when they were teenagers. It's great having family, and we all react different ways. Sometimes we can have a close family, can't we? I've got uh, a letter that one of the brothers sent when the first person died. He sent a letter to, uh, about the one on the left to the one on the right in 1917, and I've still got it, pouring out their hearts about their anguish that this one brother has just died, and sending the letter to the Western Front so this other brother would know that his brother's died. And it's full of grief. You can read in the family, they were loving and kind and wanting to be with each other. And I've got that letter at home from 1917. It's just like, when I read it, it makes me almost weep. The first time I read it, it was really tragic. Oh, my dear brother, your brother's died and blah, blah, blah. And really caring. Andrew and Peter, then, we're going to have a look at those today. And first of all, even though Andrew is always the second person, that's why I've put him first for a change, Peter is always the first disciple that's in any list. He's the one that's put first. So I've put Andrew first, but I'm still going to speak about Simon first. (laughs) And Simon, Simon Peter, was born in Bethsaida. And that's on the River Jordan, almost on the Sea of Galilee. And like we say, he's always first in a list of apostles. We can see he's the leader. He was the most outspoken, the most inquisitive, and the most courageous. And what I want us to do is just think about maybe some of the main points of his life that we read from the Bible, and just consider him a little bit, and then we'll do the same with his brother, and then we'll wrap it up a little bit and see how we go from there. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but just in your mind, just think, what are some of the the main points of Peter's life? I've got one. Transfiguration. Do you remember what happened? It was Peter. And who were the other two that went? James and John. With Jesus. And so I need... Three volunteers. Jean, I can see you're willing and able. Thank you very much. Uh, Alex, thank you very much. And, uh, oh, Paul, you're just looking the other way. So, can you come and join us, please? 
So, can you come to the front? So, Jean and Alex were going to be the disciples. And Jesus, a.k.a. Paul, you're going to sort of stand there. Thank you. Uh, we're sort of uh, just minding our own business. Then all of a sudden, what happens? Thank you. Oh, 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 oh I was hoping there'd be some acting. This is brilliant. So, so there's some transfiguration because Jesus becomes brilliant white. Yeah. And what happens to us? Oh, goodness gracious, what's happening here? And so, Jean, uh, James and John, they're sort of saying, oh, what's going on? And what does Peter say? Oh, I think I'll, I'll sort of come along here. There's stuff going on because he's been transfigured. We've got Moses, we've got Elijah. And, oh, let's make a few rooms to, so we can just enjoy ourselves. And yet, James and John were sort of looking at Jesus and Moses and Elijah and just... I expect, worshipping and saying, wow, Lord, you are the Messiah, you are God, we love you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Lovely. Great. So, the transfiguration, brilliant. You can imagine, like, Peter just saying things, because he, he just said things. He, was, he just said things, didn't he? Yeah. Now, okay, the next thing. I need a few chairs. We need a few more actors. Any more volunteers? We're going to be disciples in a boat. Okay, Fiona and Jill straight away. That's wonderful. Now, I need another Jesus. This time, Nick, can you be Jesus, please? Right, anyone else want to join us in the boat? Brilliant. So if you just... We haven't seen you yet, Jesus. So if you sort of stand over there. Hyungjin, you're just sort of uh, smiling a little bit. Can you come and join us? Yes. Don't you just bring a chair with you? Right. Brilliant. So we're, we're in a boat on the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Oh, it's so stormy. Can you make some stormy noise? Oh, we're hanging on for dear life. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, we're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've written down somewhere. Ten miles by three miles or something, I can't remember. But it's big and it's deep. And lo and behold, what happens? We're asleep, yeah. But we're crying out in fear and uh, we're sort of woken up and things aren't going so well. Yeah, so Jesus isn't asleep in this boat. This time you're going to come and just join us. You're going to walk on the water. All right, okay. <laughs> So, so, okay, if, if Jesus wants to take some action, he's praying on a mountain. Right. Yeah, so Jesus is praying on a mountain. But because he knows his father so well, he prays like this. <laughs> so Jesus has been praying on a mountain, and we've been suffering for hours. Where's the storm noise again? Oh, brilliant. So for hours we've been suffering on the boat, and we're wondering what's going to go on. And then Jesus... Comes, uh, <laughs> but not too fast, not too fast. And then the boy, the, the disciples are saying, Golly, what's happening? And what does Peter say? Wow, is that Jesus? Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come along, will you? What are the other disciples doing? <laughs> Yeah, go on, Peter. 
So Peter gets his leg over the boat, and I'm doing it on the baptistry. This is great. I've never thought of that. So, so I'm doing it on the baptistry, and all of a sudden, I'm starting to go... I'm going down. And Jesus saves Peter. But what was happening in the boat? Oh, no! What is this? I can't do it. What's happening? And yet, Peter sees Jesus and says, I can't wait to be with him. I've been, I love being with Jesus. I want to be with him now. He's a fisherman. He knows people drown in the water. I bet he knew people who drowned or nearly drowned in the water. And yet, he doesn't even think about that to start with, does he? He sees Jesus and he wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, come. Thank you very much, volunteers. That's wonderful. Yes, it's 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, and 141 feet deep at its deepest. I wonder, Colin, by the end of this, everyone's going to have volunteered. It's going to be wonderful. (laughs) Jesus has just set us off. He says, go and prepare a room because I want to have a supper with you. The disciple wasn't called Colin, by the way. Do you remember which disciple with Peter went? Yeah, that's it, that's right. I thought that would be a clue. So so we're going off, and we're sort of, we've sort of found the room and everything like that, and we're having a chat amongst ourselves. Wow, Jesus is just, I wonder what's going to happen this weekend, and blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff. We're just talking about it. But we're preparing something really significant. We're making a room ready for the Last Supper. Now, we didn't know it was significant at the time, but we would later. And Jesus asked me, Peter, and John to go and do that. Thank you. So we've prepared something, something special. What about in Acts? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus is our saviour. Do you think that's how he would have been on Pentecost? He'd have stood up like on Les Miserables, you know, how where they stand up on all these sort of things. He would have stood up loud and tall and been bold and talked to people about Jesus and being the saviour. And you crucified him, but Jesus is alive and he's changed our lives. How many people got saved? 3,000 on one day. God anointed him, but his character was strong and he got up and he spoke about God remember as well that Mark's gospel is really Peter's gospel isn't it because it was Mark who spoke to Peter and perhaps interviewed him and listened to him speak a lot over months or years getting all the stories getting all the anecdotes getting all the different things that were going on and so Peter's thoughts are definitely in the gospel of Mark And we think he was probably martyred in Rome about 61 AD. And tradition says his wife was killed first. And Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus. 
Andrew's a Greek name. But he was a Jew. It's interesting. And the Greek name means manly, manly or masculine. I wonder what he was like with his older brother, because Peter was older than Andrew. I wonder if they were like peas in a pod or like chalk and cheese. He's mentioned 12 times in the Bible, and nearly every time it says, and he was a brother of Simon Peter. I wonder how he felt about that. I wonder if he thought he was playing second fiddle to Simon Peter. He was just living in the, sort of in the shadow of his brother. His brother was domineering, strong, Pentecost, yes. Jesus, I love you. I'm going to come over on the boat and walk across to you. And yet Andrew seems to be very different. Do you remember, John, uh, John the Baptist had quite a few disciples and Andrew was one of John the Baptist's disciples. But when he found out about Jesus, what did he do? He went to his brother and said, come with me. I've met the Messiah. He didn't get up and shout from a preaching venue or anything, but just on a one-to-one, he was great. And he said, come on, come and meet Jesus. Come and meet the Messiah. In the feeding of the 5,000, it was Andrew that did something significant. We can read about it in John chapter 6. All the other disciples, when Jesus said, you go and feed them, I bet they were thinking, oh, what do we do? What's going to go on? What, what should we do about this? Andrew found a young lad with some fish and some loaves. And he brought him to Jesus. Again, he was just on a one-to-one. Nothing big, nothing major, nothing seemingly significant. But he brought a little lad with a teeny bit of food for 5,000 men, as well as all the thousands of women and children. And it was God who used uh, those uh, fishes and loaves that Andrew had brought along with the little boy that made the difference. In John 12, Philip, who's a mate of uh, Andrew's, was sort of uh, accosted, if you like, by some Greek speakers And Philip was wondering, because they said, oh, we want to see Jesus. And Philip was wondering, oh, what shall I do? He went and had a chat with uh, Andrew, and this is John 12. Andrew says, come on, let's bring him to Jesus. He was saying, Jesus is the Messiah for not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. By getting the Greeks to come along and follow and listen to what Jesus had to say. Again, on just a small way. He wasn't preaching in a big venue and doing big things. But in small ways, he was following God and doing what God asked him to do. We think that uh, when Peter uh, had died in Rome, um, then Andrew went to Turkey, Bithynia, Pontus, and he ended up in Greece. And there's a novel called The Acts of Andrew, that tells us about his time in Greece. There was healings, there was lots of conversions, and it tells us about his death as well. Now, if I show you this picture, you'll tell me what they are, won't you? 
two flags, they are the Scottish flag and the Jamaican flag. What have they got in common? The saltier. Yeah. St. Andrew's cross. Because when Andrew was crucified, like his brother, he thought, I can't be crucified like Jesus. I can't like that. So they made, so tradition says, a cross like that. And that's how he was killed. And it was the local Roman governor who got him crucified because his wife had just been converted to Christianity and he didn't want any of that. And so he just got Andrew crucified. But they didn't nail him to the cross. They just used ropes. So for a couple of days, he was just hanging like that. But again, these acts of Andrew, it says that crowds were forming around the cross because what the governor wanted was for the wild dogs of the area to see this chap on a cross and then to sort of kill him, to be sort of blunt about it. It didn't happen like that because all these people were milling around and tradition says that 2,000 people were converted while Andrew was on this cross for two days because he was preaching and saying, this is Jesus, I knew him 30 years ago, he's my saviour, he's still alive. So in a quiet way, more people came to know him. And he died, we think, on the 30th of November, St Andrew's Day, 69 AD. His key role was to bring people to Jesus on a one-to-one basis. Simon's key role was to do big things, strong things, as well as little things sometimes, I'm sure. Like we said earlier, there was no plan B just then. We said a couple of weeks ago today, there's no plan B for us as well. A lot of you will know that I'm not really interested in titles and things like that. And I know that since January I've been the minister, the leader, the pastor, and that's all great. But you know my character, I'm not so bothered about that really. But I am really interested in the responsibility that it comes with. It's a serious thing to lead a church, and I'm really keen about that. Jesus is our shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. It's his church, not my church at all. I'm meant to point all of you to Jesus in an active and definite way. And I don't want myself be just to be a follower of Jesus, where I go to church, read the Bible, and not a lot else happens. I don't want you to be the same either. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be part of the first team, as we've said already. The 11 disciples were changed people because they surrendered to God. That meant that they became world changers. And in a serious way, I think really sort of strongly that if at the end of March, when we finish this series, if we haven't changed even a little bit since the beginning of February, when we first started the series, thinking about what a disciple is and who the disciples are, then to me it's been fairly pointless doing it. We could have just talk, talked about cooking or family history 
Or I could have showed you holiday photos if nothing's changed in our lives. We know that God's word is living and active. And as we sort of, as I sort of prepare things like this, it stirs me. It changes me. I just think, wow, Lord, these disciples were like this and this. I haven't got that in my life. Lord, I need my heart to be more in tune with yours. We're not a club. We're a living church. And Jesus is our leader. And so as we follow him, we've got to change, haven't we? But for most of us, that's a really tricky thing. We're happy as we are, generally. And change is tricky. But if we're to thrive as a church, change is what we need to do. We have to say, Lord, I follow you. You are preeminent in my life. There's a Scottish theologian called James Anderson, and he's a professor of theology in America. And he tweeted this, that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever is the ground of our hope that we won't be the same yesterday and today and forever. As we experience talking to God and listening to him and doing what he says on a daily basis and putting into practice his principles... There is no way that we can stay the same at all because God wants us, to be, wants us to be more like him, to be holy, to be forgiving, to be generous, to be more considerate of other people, not just our friends and our family, but our enemies, those who don't like us, those who make fun of us. That's what God's calling us to do. And I know for a fact that I can't put my hand up and say, yep, I've got all that sorted out. Maybe 1% of might have it sorted out. There's a lot for me to develop in my life still. I've been a Christian 36 years. I'm maybe on 1% of the way there. Probably less. You don't have to say it out loud again, but just have a think. Since you've become a Christian... How has life changed for you? In the last month, how has life changed for you? What are you doing differently now from the middle of February? Because God has spoken to you and you've said, Lord, I hear you speak to me. I'm going to put that into practice. I'm not just going to let that lie down. I'm going to do something about it today. You've heard me speak about uh, these verses a few times. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, twenty-nine, 29 and 30. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's the challenge to be a disciple, to keep company with Jesus. The people we spend time with, we often become like, don't we? 
as we spend time with God on a daily basis, making him our first priority, we're just going to change. It won't be anything else because we're spending time with God, keeping him company, being with him. We can't go through the rest of this year and into the next decade, the 2020s, as we are. We have to keep on changing. We have to be following God and saying, Lord, I surrender to you. Whatever you say, I will do, because you are first in my life. Today, there is no plan B. In our lives, if we don't put God first, then what's the point of us saying we're Christians even? We're not, are we? If we want to be committed Christians, it'll be an adventure. Hard things will happen. Good things will happen as well. But that's what God is calling us to do, to be committed, to follow him, to be generous, to do all these things. But it's putting him first and saying, Lord, I surrender to you. Whatever my circumstances are today or the next few weeks, I'm surrendering to you because I want to be your disciple. I want to be part of that first team. So we're going to pray, and then Fiona's going to come and help us respond a little bit as well and just think about some of the things and the challenges that we've heard this morning. Lord, we thank you for for Peter, Simon Peter, and for Andrew. Thank you, Lord, for the brotherly love, love that they obviously had for each other. But thank you, Lord, that they were both your disciples and yet they did totally different things while still honouring and loving you. Lord, whatever you call us to, whether it's the big upfront things or the big behind-the-scenes things, Lord, we want to engage with you and your love. Will you help us to show your love to those around us, Lord? Thank you for the adventure of being your disciple. Thank you that you are with us and you love us. Help us to move on. Help us to follow you, to get out of the boat like Peter did, and to know that you are the first and the last, and there is none like you, Lord. Amen.